joining us back here again at Grab Them by the Pod. I am Kevin, along with Jesse, as always. And we want to let you know that we are back in our regularly scheduled studio. <laughs> yeah, last time we brought a friend in. We thought it would be a lot of fun, but it totally screwed up our audio, screwed up some of the dynamics we had going. And, you know, while we love Pat, I think we've decided that this is definitely a two-person podcast. Um, you know, who, who knows? Maybe we bring in another guest sometime in the future. But for the moment, I think it's just you and me, kid. Well, certainly we'd love to have some call-in guests, you know, so uh, perhaps some of these people we've talked about, maybe we could get some interviews on here. That's certainly the goal. And, you know, maybe we even get Pat back on here to have some debates with you again in the future. I know that those can always be uh, fun to listen to. Well, if you listen to the last episode, he just started going off on something that we didn't talk about at all. It's something we've talked about in our private life that we don't necessarily agree with. To our listeners, um, if you can only see our faces sometimes when we have these discussions and have these arguments, sometimes you'd see steam coming out of my ears. I'm sure the same can be said about Patrick. So uh, you know, sometimes we can just take what happens offline and maybe put it online. I think it's something you'd enjoy. So we'll think about that going forward. And we also have a little bit of a schedule change to inform you of. If you're paying attention, we're broadcasting or podcasting, I should say, a little later in the week this week. We had the Saturday episode with our friend Pat, and then now we are podcasting on a Wednesday night because I, Kevin, am going to be out of town, going to be away for a week or so, going down to H-Town. That's right, Houston, Texas. Anybody out there in Houston, uh, you know, I lived there for a little while, go, going back to visit some friends and family. And Yes, as you've picked up on some of my ideologies here, I'm going into the belly of the beast of the <laughs> conservative movement, so I have to keep my mouth shut a little bit. I have to watch my tongue some when I'm down there in Texas. You're going to get some good home-cooked Mexican food, and I know you love doing that every time you go down there. Uh, you're going to get – what's your favorite food down there? Well, I got to tell you, my, my wife's grandmother makes the best chicken tacos and mole and her rice and beans to die for. I could eat that breakfast. Tamales lunch and dinner. too, right? Tamales too. A little bit of a little bit of everything. Well, you know, I I really feel bad that I'm gonna be here where it's not quite spring all the way yet. And you're gonna be nice and warm. I'm selfish like that. I I, I but I'm happy for you though. And then, and then you're gonna come back and we're gonna do another podcast uh, next Thursday. And then after that we're gonna hopefully get back to our regular schedule and we're going to a minor league baseball game. Hopefully, if the stadium does indeed open here in Hartford. So a lot of fun things for us coming in the next couple of weeks, and hopefully a lot of fun stuff for the podcast, too. Looking forward to it. So what do you got for us politically tonight? <laughs> well, some of the things coming up that are not fun, uh, I could say, is, of course, we can always start with these Trump tweets. Uh, the weeks may change, but the subject stays the same always. Um, he tweeted out this week about health care, about surveillance, about Hillary. So we'll just go into it really quickly. Uh, Trump points out again that anybody, you know, we're idiots, anybody who thinks that repeal and replace of Obamacare is dead just doesn't know the love and the strength in the Republican Party and that talks are going on and they have been going on. They'll continue to go on until a deal is struck. You know, that bill that was out there, and not Bill Clinton, the bill on health care that was out there was like what 17% um, approval rating. Even people in the Freedom Caucus, Republicans were saying, we're not supporting this because no one likes it, and Trump is just going to keep beating a dead horse, I guess. To talk about the strength of the Republican Party, I'm not so sure uh, he's right on that one. You've got 29 members of the Freedom Caucus that were able to hold up the entire bill. So I'm not really sure what he's referring to here. 
You know, they say a house divided cannot stand. And that's currently what's happening in the Republican Party. Um, it's one of the reasons we talked about that John Boehner got the heck out of there because it just became too much. Um, right now, at least, the Republican Party does not have one set of ideologies. It's a bunch of different factions making up one party, which just causes a lot of time to be wasted and a lot of problems getting their agenda passed, even when they have the majority in the House, the Senate, the, and the White House. And this is something they're not used to. This is more of a page from the Democratic playbook where you have so many different people as part of the party that they, they take in all sides. The Republicans, as we've mentioned before, and Paul Ryan mentioned uh, a week and a half ago or so when the bill failed, that they've been used to being the party of opposition and it's easy to rally around each other then. But now when you actually have the opportunity to uh, advance some of your ideas now you start to see some differences popping up, and that's what they're having trouble coming together on. So is health care reform dead? It remains to be seen, but it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon, regardless of what goes uh, out there in the Twitterverse. Uh, President Trump was also tweeting a lot this week about surveillance. We'll talk a little bit about this uh, a little later on. Uh, but he tweeted, out, you know, the real story turns out to be surveillance and leaking. Find the leakers. Such amazing reporting on unmasking and on crooked schemes against us by Fox and Friends, because we all know he loves listening to Fox and Friends. Um, they spied on us before the nomination. That's the real story. Fox News has multiple sources saying there were electric surveillance. Now, I assume he means surveillance when he says surveillance. We've had that problem in the past. But he says there was electronic surveillance of Trump and people close to Trump. This is unprecedented. And then, you know, he adds uh, the FBI uh, tagged in there because he couldn't get a hold of them any other way than if it was on Twitter. This, to me, has the makings of a bad joke of, uh, you know, a political scandal joke. You know, the leakers of this scandal and the plumbers of Watergate go into a bar. You know, what's coming next? You never know what these guys. But could he possibly get another news source aside from Fox? I think we've answered that as no, but come on. And the problem is... You know, uh, a lot of people out there listening to us probably love Fox News, and that's cool. But it's not like he's getting it from the the news people. He's getting it from the morning show. He's getting it from the editorial group at the end. And I would say whether MSNBC or, or CNN, the same thing there, that um, there are people who go out there with opinions and agendas. And then there are people who read – I don't want to say read the news, but put, I mean I, Fox News, I love Shepard Smith. And he's proven in the last couple of months that he's out there for the truth, not for – one side or the other, which is what I love, and I wish more people were like that. Um, so when Trump is is looking for, if if you're looking for somebody to put out a point of view that you agree with, you're always going to find it, and that's exactly what happens when he watches the stuff and tweets it out. Right, and I think it's important, Jess, that you pointed out that there are people on all news networks that are seeking the truth, that are looking to point out just the news, the facts, the five W's, if you will. And they do exist, and, and that's great. But it's when you only take the ideas or the words of these editorials. These are one-person opinions that are do not constitute news. This is opinion, and that's, that's a critical thing to be able to tell the difference between. You know, the real problem is the things that you used to be able to point to as being like, you know, this is solid news. He calls fake news like the New York Times or the Washington Post. These are things that, you know, were not left. I mean, yeah, you, you could say they went, maybe went a little bit one way or the other. But if you wanted the news, that's where you went to. And, you know, for him, that's just fake. So 
So, you know, same story again, different week. And then finally, of course, you know, it's been months and months and months since the election. It's been several months since the inauguration. But, of course, he's still going after Hillary Clinton. This time he's pointing out uh, John Podesta and his brother and claiming that, you know, his brother paid big money to get sanctions of Russia lifted. Uh, Did Hillary know, question mark? Did Hillary ever apologize for receiving answers to the debate? Just asking. At this point, Trump thinks he can just say anything, and if he puts a question mark at the end, it's fine. Now, is Hillary an alien? Just asking. Like it's, it's dangerous because you're basically putting misinformation out and then claiming you were just asking a question. Right. It's his cop out. It's his his easy out. It was a question. I'm just asking, and then these conspiracy theorists run with the idea. It's just sad, sad, sad. But you know what? We've been piling on the president since the start of this podcast, and I want to be fair and say, you know, he did something today that I'm assuming for okay reasons, but he did something today that I really, really liked. He took Steve Bannon off the National Security Council. Um, He's been reorganizing it, uh, changing some things. So Bannon is out. He downgraded the role of Homeland Security Advisor Tom Bossert and basically put in charge who he should have been putting in charge, uh, National Security Advisor, the one who took over for Michael Flynn, H.R. McMaster, who I still think has the coolest name ever, specifically for, for a role like this. H.R. McMaster, he's in charge of setting the agenda now. Uh, we've talked about him in the past, and we like him. And they've also given a role back to the National Intelligence Director and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. They're now going to be regular attendees to these meetings, which oddly, for some reason, they were not prior to this. Right. They should have been there all along. The idea that you can politicize things like national security is wrong. Having Steve Bannon there to begin with, you know, he is a political operative. But I want, and we should all want, on our national security team, people who have experience in the field of security. You know, military generals, people who have ideas of the inner workings of these other countries, not about how it can be spun in the media and to the American people. And You know, Bannon being taken back off of uh, the National Security Council comes as a result of H.R. McMaster uh, feeling the same way that I've just explained, that the NSC shouldn't have any political elements. And he's exerting more control now over the council, which is probably the best thing Trump has done since his inauguration. Yeah, it's one thing if someone like Bannon or just someone in Bannon's position, it doesn't have to be even about Steve Bannon, um, comes to these meetings once in a while. You know, they're unofficial members. That's fine. That's been done in the past. Um, But he was a permanent member. And people like the National Intelligence Director and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs were just part-time coming in when they thought they needed them. Those roles should have been reversed, and now they are. And I feel at least in this particular issue, in this corner of the government – all is right with the world for at least the next 12 hours. I feel confident having McMaster in there as the national security advisor and kind of running the show now on the council because, as we've mentioned before, he is probably one of the most qualified people, his military experience, but also he has a Ph.D. in American history. And not just because he's a man after my own heart as as a, a teacher of history myself, but it's important when we're looking at how we can make our country more secure around the world. We look at the way wars have been fought and who we've had disagreements with. We have to look at our history if we want to be successful. As an example, I would point to General Vo Win Jap of the People's Army of Vietnam, that during the Vietnam conflict, he was very successful in keeping the American troops at bay and in the long run was able to force the Americans out of the country without a successful exit, 
And Jap himself was also a professor of history. So understanding your history can oftentimes help you to make your country more secure. And what do they say about people who uh, forget history? They're damned to repeat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some good news there. On some uh, negative news, I would say, uh, North Korea fired another ballistic missile this morning. And it traveled 40 miles and reached an altitude of 117 miles. And then it spun out of control after going only a fraction of its of its range. So, you know, that's, that's North Korea for you, incompetent but deadly. Um, and it appeared to be a Scud missile. Talk about a blast from the past. That's something we heard about in the uh, Desert, Desert Shield slash Desert Storm. Saddam, this scuds for you. <laughs> we have the Patriot missiles going after. I mean, I was we were only kids then, but I definitely remember that. So this is all happening, you know, on the eve as uh, President uh, Xi Jinping of uh, China comes to America, and that's just not good. Uh, especially, I mean, it compounds things. One, we we look at China right now as. Yeah, maybe a deterrent to North Korea. But if you look at what President Trump has said this week, if China isn't going to solve the North Korea problem, we will. Which, okay, that's not necessarily what I wanted to hear. But then commander of U.S. Strategic Command, General John Hyten, told the Armed Services Committee just a few days later, any solution to the North Korean problem has to involve China. So they're definitely not on the same page. And then just throw in Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who basically doesn't want to talk anymore. He says the United States has spoken enough about North Korea. We have no further comment. So it's throwing a lot of mixed messages. North Korea is acting up, and we have the president of China coming to town. This is has mess written all over it. Well, Trump's been on a real tear this week because he also met with the Egyptian president, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, and Jordan's king, Abdullah II. But on the topic of China, Trump can't be so unilateral here. He's got to be a lot more diplomatic and strategic. You know, it's a delicate balance of trade and security issues when we're dealing with China. So we can't afford to really just, you know, cast them aside and say, we'll go it alone. I mean, ask George W. Bush how going it alone in Iraq helped him. So I think he needs to take a step back here and look at his strategy for dealing with China a little bit more carefully. It's weird that he's ready to be buddy-buddy with Russia, even though they tried to hack our elections, but yet he's kind of pushing China away, which, you know, for all the bluster we hear out of Russia, China really is the other superpower going on right now, and they're in a spot right next to North Korea where they can really put out a whole bunch of uh, of pressure on them, and it, it just makes no sense that he's preemptively pushing them away when we should be bringing them a little closer, if possible. China, as you said, is the, the biggest um, competition for us. Despite what we are learning about with Russia right now, China is, you know, this is diversion for China. China gets to kind of sit back while the United States deals with the Russia scandal and figure out what, you know, it wants to do, what its next move is going to be. So this is something that we should be paying careful attention to. And certainly anything, any kind of agreements that we make with North Korea needs to involve China. So we should definitely keep track of what's going on with the Chinese president here with President Trump over the next few days and see if uh, if some good comes out of it or if some more nonsense comes out of it. I'm hoping for the former but expecting the latter. Well, I wouldn't. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah. So on to Susan Rice coming back from the Obama administration. So Trump's team has been talking about unmasking for a long, long time. And unmasking is really just the revealing of names that turn up in a surveillance report. Uh, it's usually given to a small group of cleared government officials. 
So, uh, you know, former national security advisor. We're, God, we're talking a lot about national security advisors on this podcast. But um, now, former national security advisor Susan Rice's name has really been thrown around over the last couple of days, last week or so. And on Tuesday, Rice said, you know, yeah, I unmasked some of the names of the Trump associates that were coming up in some of our surveillances, but it wasn't for political purposes. Uh, you know, it's a longstanding uh, established process. It's basically just routine. And, uh, you know, these are the things that you request uh, for national security reasons, like when the president-elect is uh, colluding possibly with Russia. <laughs> exactly. And that is the job of our national security team. It is perfectly within the purview of the national security advisor to unmask these names to get this information so as to better uh, protect our country. Certainly, if the president-elect is having uh, unethical or illegal deals with a foreign country, that information should be brought to the surface. Well, I think what the bigger issue is here is when the unmasking is publicized. And I've pointed to it before, but I point back to it again in 2003 with Valerie Plame, the CIA operative who was working in the Middle East, whose name was outed uh, by Richard Armitage at the State Department, who leaked the name to Washington Post journalist Robert Novak, who then published it in a story, therefore compromising her, uh, her safety in the field because now her name had been made public. So I think the bigger issue is when things are publicized. That's what needs to be what we need to be careful with. But as far as the National Security Advisor unmasking the name so that in the national security community they can be dealt with, there should be no problem with that. And let us remember that these names of people that were unmasked, they were not being surveilled. They were surveilling people who, whether they had Russian ties or whatever, and these people were calling them or dealing with them. They were uh, not who they were looking for. They just got, got them because they were where they shouldn't have been. So again, Trump wants to make it look like they were they were looking at me. They were trying to target us. That's not the case at all. So, you know. There's always a chance, though, that you know maybe the Trump team is, or maybe this was done politically or for political purposes. And if that turns out to be the case, you know, Rice should face the consequences for that. But as of now, there's no proof that's going on except for in Trump's mind. And sometimes uh, reality and what's in Trump's mind, at least to President Trump, are one and the same. And that again is dangerous when he puts it out there as a fact. Absolutely. And you're, you're absolutely right when you say that Susan Rice should face consequences if, in fact, this turns out to be true. But again, it's the fact that we, we really must look at. If, if it's not factual, if there's no basis, then we can't keep throwing out uh, these false accusations. When we're not talking about alternative facts, we're talking about real black and white facts. Uh, you know, this is how I look at this entire thing. I've heard it a couple different ways. I think it's like if you're reading your sister's diary and it turned out she like ran a guy over with her car. Yeah, you know, you probably shouldn't have been reading her diary, but oh my god, the the vehicular manslaughter is much worse. Now that I'm saying there's any murder or anything going on in the Trump administration, but two two wrongs are not always of the same level, I guess you could say. So even if someone illegally released the names of the people who were unmasked, sometimes what you find out is you know, way worse. But it's, 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 again, this is going to go in circles and circles, I think, for a long, long time. Who knows if we're actually going to get any resolution to it. And overall, this whole thing, to me, just reeks of diversion once again. It's keeping us from being able to focus on the real policy decisions uh, that matter. 
You know, in science, you want to try to prove something. Science? Bunch... <laughs> What's that? <laughs> um, you, you want to try to prove something, so you do a bunch of tests, and you come to a conclusion. I really feel with this administration, it's that President Trump makes a statement, and then they go back and have the facts try to come into line with what he's trying to prove, and that's the exact opposite um, of what you want when you're doing the scientific process. Correct, where you pick your facts. That's where alternative yeah. facts come in. <laughs> and then, of course, this morning, uh, Don Jr., or Donald Trump Jr., if I want to be respectful, um, he tweeted out that he thinks uh, Michael Cernovich deserves a Pulitzer Prize, and I don't know if our listeners know who Michael Cernovich is. I don't we like being fair and honest and looking at things from all different points of view on this show. But that said, this guy, he's dangerous and crazy. He's like another Alex Jones, basically. If anybody's watching Homeland right now, there's a, a person who's like an Alex Jones or a Mike Cernovich on there, and it just shows how dangerous these people can be. Anyways, uh, this is the kind of guy. He'll start a riot and then run away and say it has to do with free speech. We just on 60 Minutes. Just look him up and uh, see if you can stomach watching him. The reason I bring this up is he was the guy who – or one of the first guys to talk about Susan Rice in the story of the unmasking. So, of course, you know Trump is going to like him. But this is also a guy who makes a lot of claims that have no basis in reality. I mean he's the chief person behind Pizzagate. You know what Pizzagate is? I do. I think uh, we should probably remind the listeners, right? Pizzagate was the conspiracy uh, out of the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C., where supposedly there was a child sex trafficking ring being run out of the business, and it included a number of high-level Democratic uh, officials in Washington, which has turned out, again, to have no factual basis, but brings up one of the dangers of having these conspiracy theories being propagated because this theory that was written about by Cernovich uh, caused Edgar Madison Welch of North Carolina to take a little ride up to Washington, D.C. with an assault-style weapon, go inside and fire a couple of shots because he himself believed that this conspiracy was going on. And then afterwards had the the gall to tell the New York Times that, you know, he knew that the intel on this wasn't 100 percent, but he was concerned. So he wanted to go check it out for himself. Yeah, I used to live in D.C. I know where, where this place is. It's it's insane. This all came from the Podesta emails that were leaked by WikiLeaks. If you look at it, they're like, well, you know, meatballs for men and, and pepperoni is for women and extra sauce means like under 12. It, it's it's insane. I'm like, God, someone just sent there, uh, sat there and created their entire world of how – and I'm sure it was somebody who worked for Michael Cernovich or these Alex Jones folks who just want to – push these dangerous agendas and it's one thing to laugh at them when they're being crazy but this guy from North Korea this guy from North Carolina could have easily gone in there and shot up people instead of just shooting into the ceiling he could have killed people over this fake literally fake news story and I can't stress how dangerous that is when the president's son is saying this guy should win a Pulitzer Prize he should not win a Pulitzer Prize he should I, if I was the guy who owned a comic comic ping pong. I would sue him or sue whoever I could who's putting this fake information out there because he was uh, threatened. He got uh, uh, death threats in the mail. His, his people who worked for him, people who played there, um, were, were threatened. It, it, it's just, it makes me so angry that people believe this nonsense that can result in people getting hurt or even killed. Well, maybe, Jess, though, maybe he is deserving of a Pulitzer Prize if we look at the historical reference here. Joseph Pulitzer... Uh, was the famous uh, newspaper man of the late 
uh, 1800s, who, along with William Randolph Hearst, spawned this new idea of yellow journalism, using these outlandish headlines that lacked factual basis uh, to sell newspapers. And they are together who created the Spanish-American War by selling these salacious stories coming out of Cuba. So maybe in that regard, he is deserving of a Pulitzer Prize. But I think what is really dangerous here is that Cernovich is not just some some crazy from out in the hills somewhere. He's an educated man. He's got a degree from the University of Illinois and a law degree from Pepperdine University. So people would tend to believe that someone that is as educated as him would be telling them a story that has some truth. But it's also, you know, the ball is in his court where he can make up stories and kind of hide behind this, I've got experience and I have education, that what he is telling is the truth. But to me, it just seems more like he's trying to make a buck by selling these uh, news stories and getting readers. You know, when it comes to guys like this, and even to a lesser degree, some of these pundits we see on the uh, news channels, I wonder how much of this do these guys actually believe, and how much are they saying because they know there's an audience, there's a way to make money, there's a way to get fame, um, I, I, and I actually don't even know which is worse. Um, it's I, I just I never know who who's doing what because it's what they actually believe in, or who's doing it just to make a quick buck off of people who are desperate to believe in something. Well, and and to be honest, man, people are not getting their news from traditional news sources anymore. According to uh, the United Kingdom's The Guardian newspaper, over the last four years, worldwide readership of traditional newspapers is down by 25%, and that statistic's only going to get worse. So if people aren't getting their news from traditional sources and they are turning to you know anything that they see online, they are more apt to believe in some of these stories. And even the people who are reading some of these news uh, from, from mainstream media, they're not reading the full story. Sometimes they're only looking at the headline. And when you have these salacious headlines, sometimes it doesn't actually tell you what's going on in there. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, I don't want to be an ap apologist for Hillary Clinton, but it's probably one of the things that hurt her, um, especially around the James Comey stuff, that if you look and see that the FBI was looking into her emails – and that's all you see, that does not look good for you. If you read into it and go, you know, they looked into it, they haven't found anything, that's a totally different uh, different bag. And that can really swing elections if people are just too lazy to look at anything other than 143 characters on Twitter. And I think it showed. Let's see if it uh, changes at all coming in 2018. I'm not holding my breath. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Some more craziness going on, and this broke early this week between Blackwater, Russia. We all remember Blackwater. They first popped up during the Iraq War. Basically, rather than having the military go in there, they'd have these private contractors. Basically, a private army would go in and handle things, and there was some abuse of power, um, getting lots of money for killing people. It was it was a huge mess. I know it was kind of associated with uh, Dick Cheney. So this week we found out that the United Arab Emirates arranged for a secret meeting in January between Blackwater founder Eric Prince and a Russian who is close to Putin. Apparently they wanted to, re uh, to establish a back-channel line of communication between Moscow and Trump. I actually have a friend, I've, I've spoken about him before, he spent a lot of time in Russia in the 2000s, a little bit in the 90s, and he said that the Seychelles Islands are actually a big place for Russians to go and to relax. It's uh, off the coast of uh, Africa, a little north of, uh, of Madagascar, but... Uh, this all just reeks of shadiness because Prince has donated $250,000 to Trump's campaign or other PACs. Um, he has ties to Steve Bannon. He is 
Betsy DeVos's brother, um, and he's going there and meeting with people from Russia. It's it just it's screams, it screams shadiness at the, at the just being very nice when I say shadiness, but it, it it stinks. It stinks to high heaven. It does, and the idea that this guy that who is behind Blackwater, right? Blackwater, as you mentioned, does not have a clear conscience. The Nisawa Square massacre back in 2007 in Iraq, where 37 Iraqi civilians uh, were shot, 17 of them killed by these armed mercenaries, these paid mercenaries from Blackwater while they were escorting a U.S. envoy. Uh, that's, you know, four of those individuals, those employees of Blackwater, were tried and convicted of murder and manslaughter. So, but yet this uh, Eric Prince is able to still kind of work his way into the fold. Not to mention that there were some sightings of Mr. Prince as part of the Trump transi transition team, or at least he was in the building in Trump Towers while the transition team was meeting. I mean, maybe he was taking Devin Nunez out for coffee. Who knows? But, <laughs> you know, it all, it just, it's too close for comfort. And it's, of course, Sean Spicer says, you know, I'm not aware of any meetings going on. Eric Prince has no role in the transition. And a Prince spokesman, I mean, this is this is basically something you'd hear coming out of Trump's mouth that you know Eric had no role in the transition team. This is a complete fabrication. The meeting had nothing to do with President Trump. Why is the so-called uh, why is the so-called under-resourced intelligence committee messing around with surveillance of American citizens when they should be hunting terrorists? Ah! You know, deflecting again. It, it's not my fault for having this weird meeting on some foreign island with members of Russians, God knows what intelligence community. Blame the intelligence community in America for looking at it. Well, you know, they should, it's funny that they should bring up hunting terrorists. We should be out hunting terrorists. Since the Trump administration likes to quote Joseph McCarthy so much, you know, as McCarthy said back during his witch hunts in the 1950s, that America will be destroyed not by enemies from without, rather because of the enemies from within. So maybe it's these folks we should be paying attention to. Yeah, you know, you don't want to sound paranoid, but you're not paranoid if they really are out to get you. Um you know, this is the kind of stuff – I've said this before, and I'll say it again. This is the kind of stuff that you thought you'd see in, like, 80s spy movies, but it's you know, flying to a, to a weird island off the coast of Africa to meet with someone from the other superpower, at least in the, in the 80s, um, Russia. And, you know, again, I feel like Trump – or I feel like uh, Putin is just laughing all the way to the bank as he just causes more chaos. We see he's causing chaos in the, uh, in the French elections now, too. You get this uh, person, Le Pen, put in there because they're, they're – you know – they're the French Trump, I guess you'd say. It's 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 just no good. And again, when you hear Blackwater, you just never have the bat. That's not something you want to be dealing with. When you hear Blackwater, Russia, and Trump, you just know that's a recipe for disaster. It's a trifecta of disaster. And you know, we keep saying this. I know I've been bringing it up on several episodes, but this whole scandal, to me, just it's becoming more and more like Watergate as the days go on. All these small bit players with these seemingly insignificant roles in it eventually you know will it come uh to fruition that something uh more sinister did happen i mean prince here is kind of like a kenneth dahlberg in this whole situation you know he's given all this money will his money end up in the the bank account of you know somebody who really did uh something sinister or something uh, nefarious here it remains to be seen but i just don't like how all these little parts are adding up to a greater whole that could be uh, damning for democracy. If you come home and your entire house is filled with smoke, but you can't find a fire, do you go, well, you know what, it must be nothing? No, you go, the smoke is coming from somewhere. 
There must be a fire someplace you keep looking. And I really think that's what's going on right now. And I feel really bad because we like to build this as being, yes, we have an opinion, but we try to be unbiased in how we uh, represent the facts. But we do a lot of stuff really just hitting into the Trump administration and on the right. And I don't think we're doing that for no other reason other than just to do what we're doing because that's what's in the news right now. These are the stories. And again, that's what happens when you have the White House and you have both chambers of Congress. The stories come out about you. You're the people uh, in, in, in power. So if you're listening to us for one of the you know first times or if you're uh, someone who usually is on the right, I hope you know that we're not doing this just to keep beating on the Republicans. These are the stories that are out there, and you got to go where that trail leads. Absolutely. And these are researched opinions, right? We're not just spouting out what we think. And, you know, we're, we are doing the research to support this and trying to tie in historical references. And, and that's what is important. If we don't do this, then we may never get to the bottom of some of the problems that are plaguing us right now. Indeed, indeed. Well, the last thing I really want to bring up, it's its not really something that we can talk about too much because it's still ongoing, but, you know, the, the Gorsuch uh, nomination process is still going on. It came out of the Judiciary Committee. It's on the Senate floor now. There's a lot of discussion again as is the filibuster going to happen? Is there going to be the nuclear option from the Republicans? Yesterday, Jeff Merkley, who's a Democrat from Oregon, spoke for 15 hours on, on Gorsuch. Man, I... I love to talk. I never shut up. I don't know if I could do 15 hours. That's a long time to go, and they're not. A, they're also not able to take bathroom breaks, right? That's a. It's a long time to go without hitting the head. Yeah, you know, I, there used to be a lot of old wives' tales like you couldn't drink water and stuff, but I'm pretty sure that's not not the case, at least not anymore. But the funny thing is, though, this isn't even considered a filibuster because he wasn't delaying anything yet. They weren't going to a vote, so it was just. A filibuster by any other name, does it last just as long? I don't know, to paraphrase Shakespeare. He's a man with a strong opinion. (laughs) However, Thursday night is probably when the filibuster is going to come out, if it does. And the question is, how long do they do this? Because Gorsuch is going to be – he's going to be confirmed. He's going to be on the Supreme Court. So the question is how – how much do they want to point out how pissed off they are over Merrick Garland? How long are they going to string this out? It'll be interesting to see. Well – It didn't help the cause at all that Mitch McConnell this week called the Democrats' tactics here a new low, which I'm sure inspired some uh, laughs out loud by many folks who believe that this is a stolen seat since Merrick Garland wasn't even given so much as a hearing by the Republicans in control of the Senate. So to call this a new low, uh, he might be a little off. You know, Mitch McConnell, obviously, he's a joke. Um, and I say this as somebody who did not like Harry Reid at all, so I'm not just hitting one side or the other. But Mitch McConnell, I mean, he flat out contradicts himself. It's flat out hypocrisy on a lot of things. They do. Like, you know, he said if, if Trump wanted to nominate something, somebody in the last year of his presidency, would they accept it? He's like, yeah, of course we would. It, it's, it's, it's insane some of the things McConnell does. And uh, just I've advocated on the left, it's time for a young blood and new power. I think on the right, too, I don't know who that person would be, but I think McConnell, his time at least as speaker has passed. Um, you know, I, I got. Do I dare say I miss the days of Trent Lott? Probably not. Maybe, maybe Bill Frist. I don't know. <laughs> Trent Lott, yeah, the right wing and song singing. <laughs> uh, Cheerlead, no, what was, what, no, 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 see, what, listeners, what we're quoting right now, we wrote uh, new papers in college on this, mine was on Orrin Hatch, mine was Orrin Hatch, the right wing and song singing senator from the state just hosted the 2002 Winter Olympic Games, Go America, but yours was on Trent Lawn, what was it? Uh, something to do with being a male cheerleader. 
It, it was like mayor, mayor, what was it a male cheerleader to or male cheerleader to right wing conservative? Oh, what a difference forty years makes or something. Yeah, years I believe makes, something like something like that. And the winning title was called "Read This Paper About uh, Harry Reid." Perhaps uh, that that's what spawns your your distaste towards Harry Reid. I'm telling you, and God, you know, listeners, if you're a little younger, you want to know how old that is. I did most of my research on that on Encarta.com because the internet didn't have a lot of these things out there. Um, I can't. I look at some of those papers. And go, God, they weren't very good. Maybe I deserve that 79 they kept giving me. I don't know. You're a pretty bright guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Okay, what? God, I, I'm I'm already just ready for a bedtime after after talking about this. It's I'm you know, out of breath because there's just so much to discuss. But before we go, I always like being calmed down by you and Kevin's corner. What do you have for us this episode? Well, Jesse. Americans and humans in general are drawn to sensationalism. It has created a thirst for the outrageous. For most, we can decipher truth from reality. However, as we become inundated by a 24-7 news cycle, the lines become blurred. We cannot allow ourselves to be persuaded by fake and outlandish news stories. Traditional journalism matters now more than ever. As an educator... I firmly believe my most important role is to foster the critical thinking skills of the next generation so that they may choose fact over fiction and move this nation forward. Very nice. Well, to all of our listeners, I want to let you guys know you should pop in tomorrow, which is Thursday, uh, April 6, 2017, if you're listening to this sometime in the far, far future. Uh, we're going to have a interview on discoverpods.com. It's a website where they try to uh, show off some other podcasts to people looking for new stuff. Um, very nice. I love them over there, and I had a really great discussion with them. So you can get my view, especially my view on, um, I guess, the most prominent political podcast, one of our, uh, I guess you would say, rivals, uh, Pod Save America. I didn't listen to them. It was one of my favorites. They were surprised by that, and I gave them an answer why you have to tune in to, or, or <laughs> I guess, web in to uh, see why. Uh, and, of course, you can always go to our website at www.grabthembythepod.com. You can find our podcast there, our social media stuff there, our, our wonderful handsome faces there. Anything you need to know about us, you're going to find at that web page. And uh, I hope you hope to see you there. But uh, other than that, I think uh, that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. Wouldn't you agree? I would. Well, all right. We'll see you next time on Grab Them by the Pod. Later. Later.